Good morning. Good morning. My name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bellmead, and I just want to add my welcome to those of you who are visiting today. I would love the chance to meet you on your way out, and we would love to say a welcome to those who are with us online as well. Uh, before I get started today, I just want to say a word of thank you, uh, thanksgiving for you, um, for your support and your encouragement and your prayers. Um, as Steve mentioned, uh, last Saturday, Mark's mother, Denise, passed away after 10 months of um, battling pancreatic cancer. And so, uh, as you know, our family has been in a hard season, and now we're in a new shift, and your love and your care and your support mean a lot to us. So I just want to say thank you. And I've uh, thought about this morning as I was getting ready to come here, how many of you I have seen uh, come to church uh, the Sunday after you lost a loved one over these last seven years that I've been here. And so those of you who have showed up, uh, you've given me courage to show up today too, and I'm glad to be here with you. I also want to tell you that uh, the next two weeks are, are significant in the life of our church. At the end of June, for probably about five or six years now, we have been inviting people uh, who normally sit in the pews to come up here and share uh, their faith story, a piece of their faith story. It's a, a short sermon series called My Story, My Song. And so next Sunday, you will hear from Brige Passad. Brige, you're here. Just stand up for a second so everybody can see you. Stand up, Brige. <laughs> He's not, he waved, he waved, okay. Next week, he'll be standing up here. So Breeze is sharing a part of his faith story and a song that goes along with his journey. And then the following week, you'll hear from Lindsay Bridges. And so I'm really excited for you to hear from these folks who have been working hard to witness, uh, witnessing to our faith and telling our story is part of what we're talking about today as we look at this passage in the book of Acts. I wanna uh, catch us up a little bit to what happens before our scripture passage for today. Uh, we started really on Pentecost in Acts chapter two as we talked about the Holy Spirit coming like fire and like wind. And all of these people believed because of what they saw and what they heard on Pentecost. It actually tells us that thousands of people were converted and baptized. Um, we saw last week through David that at the end of chapter two, the, the early believers came together and they pooled their resources and they shared their time and their talents and made sure everybody had enough they broke bread together and they prayed and sang and praised God. It really gives us this picture of what it looks like to be the church as a group of people. Starting in chapter three, we see what today's passage is referencing. Peter and John go to the temple at three o'clock as was their custom for prayer. And outside of the temple at the gate, they encounter a man who was unable to walk since birth. Now, every day the community would take this man and carry him to the temple gate where he could sit and ask for alms as people came into the temple. So this particular day, Peter and John approach this man and they, it, the text says they look at him very intently. And he asked them for alms in the same way he does everybody else. But they say to him, I do not have gold or silver to give you, but I will give you what I have to offer. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And so we see this scene where um, it actually says that Peter and John, like I imagine each one got on uh, a side of this man and braced him and picked him up. 
And it says, when he stood up, he found that his ankles and his feet were really strong. And not only did he walk, he jumped and he leapt and he entered the temple with everybody else. Now, as you can imagine, other people saw this happen and they started to ask questions. How is this possible? And so Peter gives another impassioned speech, just like he does after Pentecost, explaining that all of this is possible because of Jesus. Now, the rulers of the day, the text actually says, they were annoyed at Peter and John for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And so they approach them, actually they arrest them, they take them into custody, trying to stop them, and they ask them how this is possible. And they, yet again, spell out the whole story of Jesus's ministry and death and resurrection, and they say, he came and did these things among, among you, you didn't believe him, you crucified him. And so they send Peter and John away and they look at each other and they say, what are we gonna do about these people? Everyone is believing because of this sign and this wonder that they have done. So they call Peter and John back before them and they say, this is what we've decided. They threaten them really. We warn you, do not speak or teach in Jesus's name any longer. And there we come to the last sentence of our passage for today. Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you can judge, but we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. You know, as we listen to these rulers of the day, it should sound familiar to us, the, the worry and the anxiety that they feel about Peter and John is the same worry and anxiety they experienced about Jesus. Jesus did all these signs and wonders and miracles that made people believe. And here, Peter and John were doing the same thing. It's really in this moment that the rulers of the day had to face the fact that no matter what they tried, they could not stop Jesus. Even though they crucified him, his believers carried on in his name. The kingdom that he came to offer could not be stopped. I find that an encouraging word for us today. Sometimes it feels like that Christianity is not spreading, that churches are not growing, that people don't wanna be a part of the faith. It can feel disheartening to look out in our culture and see how people twist and turn scripture in ways that don't resemble who Christ is. It can feel like the tenets and the compassion of Jesus are not pervasive. But this text shows us if we stay the course, if we keep digging deeper than the surface, if we keep showing up and spreading the truth of Jesus, if we keep breaking bread and inviting more people to the table, if we keep sharing our possessions and praying and singing and gathering, the true love of the kingdom always finds a way to live. It may at times seem dead, but the story of Jesus, the power of his witness is that what seems dead is alive. These early believers did not give up on the truth of the gospel and neither should we. 
As we look closer at this specific story, we see at its heart, it is really a story of healing. It reminds us, it points us to Jesus as the balm in Gilead, the ultimate healer, the one who understands the pain and the sorrow that we feel in times of distress. But it also shows us that we have a role as Christians, as his followers, in bringing people to their feet. Think about this man who was sitting outside the temple gate. If you think about him literally, he may be no different than someone that you pass today on your way to the building, on the street, asking for alms. This man is looking for a way to meet his immediate needs. Sometimes in the church, we call that an act of charity, something that we can give right now that meets an immediate need. But we also see that Peter and John come along and they look at him intently and they meet his long-term needs, what we might call justice. So this is a reminder that in the church, we need both acts of charity and acts of justice, that Jesus calls us to go deeper than the immediate and to work on the systems and the structures that can change a life for good. That is what Peter and John offered this man, a changed life for good. From another angle, think about how this man must have felt in that moment to receive the ability to walk. I imagine that that moment was a line in the sand for him. On one side of the line was his life before he was able to walk, dependent on other people to survive. And on the other side of the line was this new life, this new beginning where he was jumping and leaping and found equal footing. It makes me wonder what lines you are negotiating today. What before and after experiences are you carrying with you? See, some of the lines in the sand in our lives are the worst events that we have encountered. Death, divorce, illness. Some of those lines are the best events of our lives. Marriage, birth, being cured, realizing that we're living this life that we always hoped for and imagined. Whether it is the worst or the best, we are trying to figure out how to live after these events. What I mean is sometimes even the best event in life requires that we let go and let die in order to really live. Like this man had to let go of his old self and his old life in order to live the one right in front of him. I feel like I have learned that when it comes to the worst events in our lives, sometimes all we can do at first is try to survive. Later, part of our work is trying desperately not to see our lives or our stories or our heart as divided into two parts. I have learned that life is really about trying to erase that dividing line and interweave and integrate all of the experiences that we have. This week I was reading a book uh, called Listening for the Soul by Jean Stairs. She's a pastor in Canada. 
And she argues, um, she makes an argument that the jury is still out about. I don't know if I believe her, but she says that, uh, you know, us Protestants aren't really good at getting caught up in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we, uh, we stick death and resurrection and themes of wilderness into their proper liturgical seasons. Like we talk about those things in Lent and Easter, but we have a hard time carrying those themes into other times of our lives and that we have a hard time embodying them. She says to sit with, to embrace, to talk about, to look for, and to accept what she calls the soul's rhythm of death and resurrection is our goal. What I think she means is that everywhere and always, all living things are dying and being raised to life. We feel this most profoundly in literal death, but she says there's all these little d deaths that we encounter. Anything that signifies change and loss. She says that getting caught up in the natural rhythm of death and resurrection is a lifelong spiritual journey, right? It is over the course of our faith that we are trying to not just feel death, but to feel those resurrections and to find that new beat, that new rhythm. And for us, this is not a trite endeavor to find meaning or to find hope or to find lessons that we learn, but it's a lifeline. It's a new stanza. It's a new way of being. In the context of our story, we might say that embracing the rhythm, the natural rhythm of death and resurrection in our lives allows us to stand and find that our ankles and our feet are strong and that we're capable of walking and leaping and jumping because of the interweaving and intervention of God in our lives. You know, once Peter and John experienced and embodied not just death and resurrection, but the Holy Spirit that they allowed to live within them, it says they could not help but speak about what they saw and what they heard. And this tells us that witnessing, that storytelling is important for discipleship. You know, sometimes I don't think that we live that way. Um, maybe the, we're a little timid to talk about Jesus or to talk about our faith. Uh, maybe we're afraid to offend people or to seem too zealous. Uh, maybe we think we have to have a religious education, but this story says it was uneducated, ordinary men who told the stories of Jesus. I'm not calling you uneducated. <laughs> that sounded like I did, but I'm not. Right, everybody has a story to embrace and a story to tell. Sometimes we're afraid to be vulnerable or to appear weak. Some of us were raised that your private life is not something that you talk about in public. But this text is saying, what has Jesus done for you? And how are you going to talk about it? Words we know have power and influence and change people, and I would argue, save people. A few weeks ago, I was at a district clergy meeting. Uh, we're in the Red River District here at Belmede, and uh, we meet about once a quarter. And so this is just a gathering of pastors uh, who come together for nourishment and fellowship. And uh, this particular 
uh, meeting a couple weeks ago where it was at Hilldale United Methodist Church, and we were in their gym, and when we walked in, there was a big circle of chairs, and so we sat down, and we were all just facing one another very vulnerably, vulnerably. and uh, when we sat down, they said, okay, today for the next two hours, we are going to do a communal lament, and I said, I'm sorry, I have to leave. <laughs> I don't want to engage in communal lament. Uh, I want to come and sit with my brothers and sisters and talk about ministry and hug people. I don't want to lament. But as we sat there and we followed the liturgy, we lamented, you know, churches that are leaving the United Methodist Church, people that we love and that we know. We lamented what was going on in our community And then they gave us space to talk about and lament the things in our lives as pastors, to admit and recognize that we care for people, but we're also caring for ourselves and for our families. And so I sat in a circle of three, myself included, and I listened to my pastor friends, and one of them was uh, lamenting that her son was in prison again and that he was battling the disease of addiction. And another lamented that he's been trying to help a family member by letting them live in the house with his wife and two kids, but it's been so hard to support him and not kick him out. And I shared about Denise and our walk through her cancer and the shifts and the chemo and everything that my family had been enduring. And after that, they brought us back to the main circle and they gave us a rock And they said, on one side of this rock, I want you to write something that you hope for. And on the other side of this rock, I want you to write down a belief that you believe no matter what you face in life, something that you cling to. So on the hope for side, I wrote, I hope that violence never wins. That's something I want to live for as a Christian. I wanna help make possible. Violence will never win. And on the belief side, I wrote one of my core beliefs that God is faithful. As I look back at my life, through every line in the sand, through every moment where someone hurt me or I hurt them, God has been faithfully redeeming and working and interweaving my story. Through all the deaths and all the resurrections, God is faithful to me. That is something I cannot help but speak about. But today is not about me. Anytime we share a story is for you to think about yours. What has Jesus done for you? What is your core belief? What is it that you cannot help but speak about? May we have the courage and the boldness to believe that when we share those stories out loud, the message of Jesus will not be stopped. Amen.